You're listening to Halloween, The Definitive Companion, with your host, my good friend Daniel Krupa, and me, Gav Murphy. Today, we're heading back to the little town of Haddonfield, Illinois, to find out what happened to Laurie, Sam, and Michael. Five minutes later. Okay, Daniel, what is the premise for Halloween 2? Immediately following the events of Halloween, Michael Myers is still at large in the little town of Haddonfield. Pursued by Dr. Sam Loomis, Michael goes in search of Laurie, who has been taken to the nearby hospital. I know it obviously makes sense, right, to have... <laughs> I feel like this might be happening quite a few times in this one. I, I know it obviously makes sense to have it in the hospital, but I really do think the film suffers as a result of setting it mostly in the hospital. It turns into a different film. Also, there's nobody in that hospital. Oh my God, that's so strange. It's the it? world's quietest hospital. I really don't get it. It's bizarre. Also, Laurie's out of action for most of this film. It's odd, isn't it? It is really odd because nobody wanted to make this film. No. They were made to make it. Yeah. Carpenter says he didn't want to make it, but was forced to write it kind of because he wanted the payday. Yeah. Some of the other ideas that they had actually sound way more interesting. I know this mm. is always the temptation with films. You go, oh, that idea sounds better. Yeah. There's one where it's like, it takes place years later. Michael tracks Laurie down. And she's living in a high-rise building. Right. And the whole film is going to be set in a high-rise. Fine. But that sounds like a cooler, stronger concept. I love the idea of it picking up right as you left off. Because I do think a lot of horror films, you go, what does happen then? I I feel like Scream. I always thought that. I was obsessed with the very first Scream. I wanted there to be another film to start straight away. What is the aftermath of that? Because all of that that goes down is so psychologically yeah. scarring to Sydney that you think, I want to see this. And you don't get to see it. It flips and you get a couple of years later or whatever. In the first film, they set up that there is a dance the next day. So I'm like, how is it not happening there? How is she not gone? I have not, like your friend's going, right, I don't want Laurie to go to the dance, obviously. But... Or mate's dead. I feel like there's something you could have done with that that was a little bit more interesting than an empty hospital. Also, it kind of weird, because it follows on from the end of the first film so directly. All Mm. right, so we do know that he survived six bullet shots. Yeah. Like he was shot six times and he has gotten up. Cool. So that basically is, oh, he is not human then. Or Or was he missed? Some kind of (laughs) mad armor, I guess. It maybe is the other implication of it. But I really, to be fair, for someone like Loomis, who... I think he maybe says about 10 or 12 times how many times he shot him in the film, right? Couldn't have shot him six times. He's still pretty into having his gun with him and still pretty into the idea of the gun. Like, he's still trying to shoot him and things like that. You're just like... Mate, you already shot him, and you were, you were going on about how bullets don't work on him. I know. Okay. He pulls it in this film. Loomis pulls a gun on a sheriff in a car. <laughs> how? Oh, why is he not arrested? He pulls a gun on the sheriff in the car to turn around the car to go back to the hospital. Oh, yeah. Also, talking about how bad Loomis is at distilling information, distilling the information to the neighbor, going, call the sheriff, tell him I shot him six times. Who? What the fuck are you talking about? Apparently you can hear seven <laughs> shots as well. Oh, I the, the bit with the neighbor 
is one of my favorite moments. So it made good, me laugh yeah. so much when the neighbor says something about death and he goes, you don't know what death is. And he just runs off. Yeah. <laughs> Where he says, I've been trick or treated to death. But I think as well, so this is a really interesting. We talked about like alternate versions and the extra scenes and things like that. There is an alternate version of Halloween 2, which was shown on telly. And people in the Halloween community are obsessed with it because of how different it is. And it changes, like, it changes people's, uh, whether or not someone live or dies. But that neighbor's dialogue has changed quite a lot. None of it doesn't make any more sense, but it, lots of that changes quite a lot. And they did a thing where some of the bits in the in the trailer are a lot different to it and things like that. So it almost makes, it's meant to make a little bit more sense, but it absolutely doesn't. But Loomis obsessed with the gun, even though he knows it doesn't work. I do like this idea of like Loomis, no matter what conversation he's overhearing, just always histrionic. Maybe yeah. he's always been like that. Yeah. He goes, oh, my feet are killing me. You don't know what killing is. Yeah. Runs off. <laughs> what's going on out here? Call the police. Tell the sheriff I shot him. Who? Tell him he's still on the loose. Is this some kind of joke? I've been trick or treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. I love Assault on Precinct 13. And that is an awesome siege movie where they have people going to a precinct and they're sort of like holding up. I think they could have done that a little oh, yeah. bit more with this hospital. It would have made a bit more sense. They just don't get enough from the hospital. But what's really strange is not only is it empty, it feels massive, which makes it feel... Because like if, it, if they keep calling it an infirmary or a surgery or something like that, yeah, so, yeah. so it, it changes more sense yeah. if it was smaller, but it looks massive. I almost wonder if that's a disagreement between production and the script. Mm. Like it is written as an infirmary or a clinic and they've actually just got too big a location for it. So it doesn't yeah. work. Because... The end of the first film works brilliantly because you have a really firm grip on the geography of the location. You really do, The two yeah. opposing houses. I know we said it gets a bit confusing where we're, yeah. what happens where, but you know where they are at yeah. least. The hospital, I have no idea how it all connects. No. There's loads of crazy rooms. There's like a private only area where Garrett gets killed. Oh. There's the hot tub room, which is a cool little bit of therapy. There's lots of different parts to it and you just don't know how it connects. Yeah, it also, like, in some bits, it feels quite Nightmare on Elm Street-y as well because, like, you know, Long he's corridors. in the basement and lots of corridors in the basement with the red light in the sort of whatever is meant to be. And I guess, like, the fact that she is sort of drugged up and, you, you know, quite asleep for quite Why a lot of it. barely in it? I don't know. It really doesn't make but, any sense. Because also, you could dismiss it because we're going to get onto how it connects. So I yeah. guess we can do that now. Yeah. Is... It's weird to have her in it and use her so little mm. when her relationship to Michael is the weird crux and revelation of this movie. Absolutely, yeah. That is, Michael is actually related to Laurie. Yeah. It's his little sister who was like two when he killed Judith. Yeah. And then she was adopted by a nearby family. I'm still unsure of the sort of clarity of that entire thing because obviously at no point do you see this child in it at any point. And then you just, in the first one, and then you go, oh, no, actually, they're related. She was in, it. so is the idea that she's in the house? What, at that time? Yeah. Was she also being neglected by the babysitter? I don't know. I really don't know. You feel like you'd be a little bit more on her side. But this is the thing about, like, how it connects that I kind of, that we can talk about is they, not only do they do what Michael's genuine connection is to Laurie, but then they also introduce this other idea then of, you know how to pronounce it properly. Samhain. Samhain. Which is, I think we're going to call, we're going to say Samhain. Yeah. Because that's what the films say and that's yeah, Loomis' yeah, yeah. pronunciation of it. Yes. 
But we checked it, and there's nowhere near how you support In Irish, it. you would pronounce it sowin. Yeah. Like cow in. But we actually have the exact same. So the, the, the whole holiday is basically like Halloween, where you give offerings to the god of the dead. Well, I think it's also to do with, with what Loomis describes it as is Druid priests would offer burnt sacrifices within. Yeah. Basically, what he's describing is the wicker man. Yeah. And these would be uh, sacrifices that would appease the god of death. Yeah. Or the lord of death, I think he says. You see the blackboard back there in the elementary school? Yeah. In order to appease the gods, the druid priests held fire rituals. Prisons of war, criminals, the insane, animals were burned alive in baskets. By observing the way they died, the Druids believed they could see omens of the future. Two thousand years later, we've come no further. In Wales, we have one called Kalangeav, and it's exactly the same thing, with slight variations, including Arhuch the Gutta, which is a sow, weirdly, that travels around with a headless woman. And if you see her, you're fucked, basically. So you do a lot of things to appease that. That is the... Oh, you got to, you've got to appease that. Yeah, you've got to appease it. So we have that in Wales as well. I guess we, that will come into a little bit in, in Is Michael Evil later on, so we can kind of come back to that a little bit. But it feels like they load, it, they load up this film with quite a lot. Well, the sister thing is, they just, I guess they want to have a bit more mm. than him just doing the same thing again. They, and what do we know about Michael? He's killed one sister already. Yeah. You basically want to try and make Laurie more important rather than being a random victim. But in my head, she's important by virtue of the fact that she kind of defeated him. And got away. Or she got away. So it would make complete sense to me. And I would not question why this guy is, why he's going after her again. Yeah, it's like my unfinished work. Absolutely. Of only a few hours ago Yeah, as well. I also love, you know, when because he's written Sam Hain on the blackboard in blood. Yeah. And uh, they just go, what's that? And the cop goes, it's gibberish. Well, you can say that. Oh, I love you can that. have a go at saying it. Also, <laughs> is that what you want from a detective or a police officer? Oh, it's probably just gibberish. Yeah, it's like one that. of the major clues of, yeah. the, of the killer communicating to you as gibberish. That entire scene feels like it's double the, sp- double the length that it needs to be. Because at one point, he's just pointing at a broken window and go, this where you got in? It's in eight. I could have guessed that. To be honest, this is where he got in. Then he walked across here. Fucking hell. Like, this doesn't need to be this. But it's three of them. He got in here. Look over here. And here. Is that it? No. Here. What's this? It's gibberish. No. Now that we know that Laurie is Michael's little sister, yeah, I've read about it. I, I saw someone post this. In the first film, Laurie's adoptive father is a realtor. Right. Um, Strode Real Estate. Yeah. In the first film, he gives Laurie the key to the Myers place to go drop off at the Myers place. That's a really good point. Yeah. So if you think about this, the guy who has adopted Laurie, who knows her backstory, yeah. on the anniversary of her sister's death, gives her the key to her own house to go drop off herself. It's ever so slightly in poor taste, isn't it? It's a little bit bad, <laughs> bad um, adoptive father work. He, like, but I guess in his head, he's like, she doesn't know. So no, be right. And also, I, I do not have time today. Yeah. It's just like, can you just make it, don't go into the room where your sister, uh, the girl died, because that'd be really off, that would. 
Also, in this film, the flashback sequence, oh, Laurie's yeah. talking to her mum. I told you, I'm not your mother. What a way to break it to her. Yeah. Also, how has she repressed that? Yeah, that's really strange, isn't it? It's it's such a brutal way to explain to her that she is adopted. It's sort of all unnecessary as well, because I just go, I, th- I generally think it works without her. I don't need her to be related to him. I don't need that at all. I think it's very telling that the new one just goes, yeah, that's all gone. Yeah, they kind of don't talk about it, don't they? Well, they've said it doesn't exist. Oh, okay. There we go. In the Good. new... Oh, of course. They've yeah, got, they yeah. Basically, everything from one onwards doesn't yeah. exist. Because it does, it does make it very complicated. And it's just easier to just go, that doesn't... We don't have to deal with it because it didn't happen. <laughs> but I remember before the Halloween film came out, talking about it because we love Halloween and we talked about it a lot. And we did do some work with Jamie Lee Curtis and on it and stuff like that. I remember going like, are people just going to be really confused? No, they do not have a fuck. People they, don't know. They don't have any connection to any of those They make films. a joke about it in the yeah. film because they go, oh, was she not meant to be a sister? Oh, yeah. that's just something people said. Mm. They almost treat it as urban legend. I like that. So it almost dismisses it. If you do remember it, they go, ah, so you, you just heard, you misread it. Dismiss Loomis's life work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only half of life's work. <laughs> Four hours a day with this boy. Every day. For six months. He's waiting. For what? I don't know. Okay, mask ranking for this episode. Because it's only a few years later, so you would think, just use the same one. It is the same one. Yeah, so, but there's like varying, there's two stories out there of about why it looks slightly different. <laughs> and one of them is Ming In. Uh, <laughs> one of them is that... One of them is that Nick Castle basically just kept the mask in his back pocket quite a lot of the time. So if I was the prop person on that, at the end of each shot or wardrobe person or whatever who's looking after it, at the end of each thing, you just go, can you not put that in your back pocket? Because I feel like that will change it. We've made that. So, I know to you it's just a Captain Kurt mask, exactly, painted white, yeah. but I've put a lot of time into that. And he claims that he always had the mask on display in his house. And then they asked to borrow it then when they redid the film. So that is a story that is out there that he's obviously said at conventions and things like that. Because, I mean, that's a way interesting thing than going... He said it at conventions when he has to have stories about the mask. Exactly, yeah. Where the other story, and this is Mingin, is that (laughs) Deborah Hill kept the mask underneath her bed, but is a heavy smoker. So the mask had yellowed... Even like if it's under the bed, is it getting much of that? Well, it depends on how heavy smoker she's smoking though. under the bed. But like, I guess if it's under her bed and she's smoking in bed, oh my god! Also, the idea on her of bed, s- the fact that she might be doing stuff on that bed, and like little Michael Myers's face is under her bed. Yeah, that's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of. But imagine that. But also, imagine having to wear that again. It's going to stink. I guess people's attitudes towards cigarettes and smoking in different general though. in those years are completely different. Because now, if someone is smoking, you're like, Jesus Christ. Like, we were watching Mad Men the other day, and this people are smoking in a lift. It's like, imagine going in a lift and someone was smoking now. I phone the police. Or hospitals. <laughs> That's funny when you see people smoking in hospitals. In hospitals. Isn't that bonkers? Planes. People are people are Inside strange. Michael Myers' mask. This is, this is what we think. Like, no one can be trusted with anything because at some point it was all right to smoke on planes. Mm. No one can be trusted doing anything. But imagine handing 
And Michael Myers must have me go, sorry, have you just been smoking heavily around this? It's why, yellow. Why is it yellow? Why is it absolutely honk? The good thing about it is it is the same mask. I think I think you can kind of tell like the, the nose and the mouth, which are the things that we really like about the original. Mm. It does have that good definition. Yeah. I think in some shots, it looks fantastic. Yeah. I think in the shot at the end when she shoots him in the eyes, it looks really good. That does it really good. There's some of the bits where um, one of the nurses pulls up to the hospital and you see him reflected in the wing mirror yeah it looks really really good good there but then sometimes it just doesn't look right it looks like it's been um deformed or distorted yeah it almost looks like um you know when you don't have the little anchor on photoshop yeah and you stretch an image yeah and it it loses its dimension (laughs) so you got i've done oh need to pull shift i think weirdly because it's the same mask the thing that we talked about in the first episode of this podcast is that you do have to double take and go, is that person wearing a mask or is that actually their face? In this, that's a mask. And I feel like the the definition between the mask and the layer between the face then, I feel like I can see that a lot more mm. in this episode. In yeah, there's a lot more of eyes. Film, you I can don't see. know why. It might be that's to do with lighting as well. Yeah. And, and too many close-ups of him. Yeah, that's true. Because there is a lot of Michael being very present in this film, I think. Yeah, definitely. Whereas the ones we were talking about in the previous episode, it's across the street, it's yeah. down the road. The only, I think there's only one, like, it is really strange to see more of him. There is one shot which I was like, that looks awful. And it's when he's standing underneath a red light. It lights up the entire mask as red. <laughs> it just looks pretty funny. So yeah, even though it is the same mask... Well, we don't have, it's worse than last week. <laughs> so definitely worse than the first. Second. The first one, is yeah. On our yeah, rankings, second, second so lower. far. I'm, I'm very much thinking of the mass rankings like play your cards right. Absolutely. Yeah. Lower. Higher or lower than Halloween 1? Lower. lower. Absolutely. Okay, what about then Michael? I think this is also one of the reasons, even though it's the same mask, it looks different. Yeah. The guy has a different physique. He's called Dick Warlock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why wasn't... Nick available. People don't value that kind of performance no. maybe enough. I think that's a good point. I think we'll I think the stories about that with subsequent films in a series. And the same thing happened with Jason. Yeah. Is you don't really recognize what they were bringing to that role. No. And why it was because like anyone can do it. It's just put a mask on. That's really bad, isn't well, it? Can we just get a bigger guy? Just Which is kind of what they do with Jason. Can we just get a bigger and bigger dude? And definitely when we get to the Rob Zombie ones, I think. Yeah. Like they just, I think he's a wrestler. And they got in and you just go. Oh, for me, that's way less scary, but we'll tackle that then. He doesn't move as elegantly. No. And I think, unfortunately, as well, he's got more to do. So because he's got more to do, there's more for you to work it out that he looks a bit shitter. I think, but he definitely feels like a much smaller presence, particularly when you put him in a really small room. And there's that bit at the end then when he's just wildly swiping at them. Mm. You think. That well, one that scene feels like it goes on for so long, and I actually wasn't sure of what the motivation of any of them was because I think Ether was like, "Oh, they're just trying to drug him, so he gets really drugged up." But isn't the drugs going to work on them? Oh no, they're just going to fucking blow him up, actually. But when he's wildly swiping at them for ages, it does feel really strange. I think you're right in saying some of the awkwardness comes from asking him to do more things. Yeah, because in the first film, what does he do? Stabs a few people, he and he's basically a, a presence. Yeah. That is more evil than when you're trying to make him do like really wild kills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really odd, isn't it? But the kills again, like you're asking him to do more, but there is still at the same time, even though there's more of them. So I guess, again, because there is more of them, there's more of us, there's more that we can criticize, I guess, a little bit. Escalation but, with the kills, really. Yeah, because I, that was that would be definitely something. There is a meeting in a bad 
Hollywood producer's office where it's like, right, how do we one-up this film, mm. you know? I think also from what I've read is Rick Rosenthal, who is the director of this movie, wanted to make it in the same way as the original Halloween. So have little to no blood, yeah, little to no direct violence. Mm. But Carpenter found the film slow and he wanted to inject more gory yeah. stuff because other films have come out since the original Halloween. And yeah, they were yeah, like, yeah. we've got to compete with these kind of horror films with Friday yeah. the 13th. And I think this came out the same year as Friday the 13th part two. It was like, yeah. we're competing with these films now. So that's why there is more blood. This is why there are more elaborate kills in yeah. this where he uses, he's changing his implement of death yeah. with every kill pretty much. When I think about Halloween, you think about like how muted the entire thing is. So then I find it strange then to hear that John Carpenter was actually, no, let's put more in it. Mm. And then I think then you get that weird little, I can't even call it a B storyline, but with the kid who swallowed a, or has got a razor blade in his mouth. That's wild, isn't it? Out of nowhere. He's, I think it's like shown three times. Nobody, including the nurse and his mother, are really reacting to how they should be reacting to a child with a razor blade. Which in their is mouth. like a kind of an urban legend. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. it's almost like weirdly, because what I found that weird because what that implies is mm. there are other fucked up people in Haddonfield. In Haddonfield, yeah. Which is in the first film depicted as a very sleepy, peaceful suburban idyll. Yeah. Who's doing that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, I think maybe it's sort of leaning into the idea that actually all, it's almost like Purge-like where everything has gone to shit on Halloween, including this kid. But if you watch like his mother's performance, oh, come on, love, it's all right, don't worry about it. My mum would be losing her fucking mind. I think most mothers should be. The nurse is like, yeah, sit down, we'll get to him in a bit. What? Will you fuck? O also, being busy, are you? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't look it. There's no there's, one in there's here. There's three nurses on duty. My mum would be kicking off in that accident emergency if they were just like, yeah, just sit down, take a seat to me. No, he has swallowed a razor blade, which is bigger than him. Can you please see him now? How stupid has that kid got to be, though? Because I feel like if you bite you into it. an apple, yeah. I think the idea was that they would put it in fruit and stuff like that. Yeah. But like, if you bite into something, I feel like you're getting a razor blade. It's horrible, isn't it? Mm, Connie, but they just added that bit in. It feels odd. It, doesn't I, it? It's almost plays like a like a dark comic joke. Yeah, I, it's I, so gruesome. But that, that's what I mean. I feel like it, it's so over the top and so disgusting, and their reactions to it is really odd. But there we go. Okay, just just get out of here. It's gonna be okay. Just walk real slow, okay? You all right? You all right, hon? Oh, oh God. Oh. Here, just, just, just put it up there real gently. You okay? Let's go. Just walk real slow. Come on. That brings us nicely on a stupid decision. If we're not counting, we're not, yeah, one, the kid, two, the nurse just really chilling about a kid who's eating a uh, razor blade. I've got a really good one for a stupid decision. I think I've got a good one as well. Why don't you go first? Go on, Ant. Are you quite confident with your voice? Mm. You feel that it's the stupidest? Not now. I don't know. My, I don't know. Mine hasn't actually quite little to do with the actual characters and the, the horror movie. Yeah. It's when Laurie turns up at the hospital. Yeah. And Dr. Mixter. Oh, yeah. Examines her. Who's wrecked. Who's wrecked because he's just been boozing all night. Yeah. I didn't realize it was going to be his busiest night of the year. Yeah. He says, he, he goes, oh, you've lost lots of blood. And then the first thing he does is he takes some of her blood. Takes some blood, yeah. Yeah, that's a <laughs> What? <laughs> I just thought that was a very stupid medical decision. They're all really into the idea that only that doctor can see her, even though he is wrecked. Yeah. Well, again, there's no one in that hospital. What I think is really odd as well is 
for no reason they say they make a really big thing of saying that he was at the same party as Laurie's parents. Yeah. Doesn't come back at all, but they make a really big part of saying, oh, Laurie's parents are the same thing. They're not there now though. Is that, is that, that? just thinking about if you were writing and you were like, let's make this consistent. Is that the theme of negligent parents, negligent adults, people not being present when not present, bad things happen. Mm. Yeah. I kind of like that in my head. It, almost adds into if you want to really go there's more going on here uh, then you can just go well have all the parents just gone like purge style all bets are off with our kids tonight michael's coming back we know he's coming this exactly yeah sam hain can you do that it's sam hain tonight sam, sam hain was the original purge um i guess it is in a way isn't it um <laughs> my stupidest one is jimmy slipping like a goon on the nurse's blood because Gee. Well, he it gives takes, himself a concussion. It takes a lot to slip like that. I feel like, and I, I do. I know blood is would be very slippy if it was everywhere. You managed to get in, all right. Why yeah. are you then just like doing a pratfall on the way out? I thought that was. I thought that was really strange. But yeah, him and Bud as well. Like just in general, just did my head in all the way through it. They're very annoying characters. I mean, they're very annoying characters. The fact that he gives himself a concussion and then passes out later in the car. <laughs> I actually had to rewind that to check he didn't get killed. Yeah, he just so, passes I was out. like, has Michael come by and just like killed him? But no. My, my favorite thing that I found out, the guy who plays Bud wrote, you know that really terrible gotty film with John Travolta? He wrote it. The guy who played Bud wrote that film. Because he's got like a very, t- um, Leo Rossi he's called. Yeah. He wrote Gotti. He's, I think he's, he's done another, he wrote another mafia film as well, but he also wrote Gotti, which apparently is one of the worst, worst films ever made. Based on his In my head, this, it's like Christopher's script where he's like, I must be loyal to my capo. Yeah, that's what it's like. But yeah, that's really strange. Uh, so what are we saying then? Worst decision. I think probably the Lord, taking blood from Laurie. I, I feel, yeah, for a doctor, if someone's lost a lot of blood, don't, be no-no, I reckon, probably extracting another liter of blood. Also, just the nurses just going... He is wrecked. There, should, is there should nobody we do this? else that can do this? Because I think, isn't that, I've whenever I've had blood taken and a doctor said this guy needs blood taken, I've always been sent to a nurse to have it done. Yeah. I guess what they're doing in that scene, thinking about it, is they get quite a lot of mileage from needles. Yeah. And that's, that's just true. going, what else are people scared of? Needles. We can do a couple of close-ups of needles going in. Yeah, that's You know, true. like, um, there's that famous story that the thing that people passed out in The Exorcist right. wasn't any of the exorcism. It was Reagan going for all the medical procedures. Right. That's okay, what yeah, people yeah. really freaked oh, out right. about. Okay. Well, I reckon Drunk Doctor. Drunk Doctor taking blood <laughs> when she's apparently lost loads of blood. I think, yeah, that is definitely the stupidest decision. Here's Dr. Mixer. Uh, he's been at the country club. I think he's drunk. A great... What have we got? Stab wound, left anterior chest, possibly penetrating. Multiple contusions. Yeah, yeah, come on, let's go. Fracture right ankle. Janet, get me some more coffee. Get that out of here. Okay, what do you think is the scariest moment? So I didn't find much of this film very scary. Mm. The thing that stayed with me was the accidental death of Ben Tramer. Oh my God, yeah. Because Loomis is ready to shoot him. Yeah. He's held back yeah and then the kid who's just out having a lovely halloween yeah his mates say later on he'd been drinking so yeah. he's a bit boozed up in a mask having a great old time trick-or-treating yeah. he gets hit by a car which then explodes Blows. it's so funny i found that really scary though that he's just having a lovely night and little did he know yeah oh he's dead 
and they start chasing him and they have that big thing. But the thing that I really like and the weird little connection is that's the person that Laurie's meant to be going on the date to the homecoming dance with, Ben Tramer. That's the one that they joke about in the first episode. And he's dressed up as Michael. And he's dressed up as Michael. So apparently he's bought the same mask from the store. It yeah. looks slightly different, like slightly different hair. But yeah, it might be a, a series. Yeah, yeah. But he is, yeah, he's, he looks sort of the same. I love that the second death in this film is because of Loomis. It's great, isn't it? He just kills an innocent kid indirectly. And then it blows up. Like at no point does he even look, feel or bad by it. <laughs> no point does he go... He's not happy, so he definitely doesn't think it's definitely Michael. Mm. There's no remorse that, or it could be someone else. Yeah. And it's, even when he finds out that it's a 17-year-old kid, just doesn't care. What's that? That's a weird scene where they're examining the His burnt teeth, corpse. Yeah. And they're going, oh, no fillings, yeah. probably young. Michael's only 21. It's not a massive difference. It's not like he's had a load of junk food in... But if, I mean, again, what's he eating? If he's evil, what's he eating? Is he brushing his teeth? Is Michael Myers brushing his teeth? Or is someone brushing them for him? Does that happen in hospitals? I guess it would, wouldn't it? If you're catatonic, which this is the thing that some of the additional scenes that they film for TV imply mm. is Loomis's theory is yeah. Michael is pretending to be catatonic. Right. So he gets put into minimum security prison. Right. And there's a scene after he gets sent to Smith Grove where Michael goes, sees the young kid and goes, you fooled them all. Yeah you, yeah. you don't fool me. Yeah. I know this is an act. So I think Michael is pretending to be catatonic. Mm. So maybe they do brush his teeth. I guess he would, wouldn't you? Weird. Really makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah. Who brushes Michael Myers' teeth? Uh, we'll never know, I guess, but I'm just glad we're asking the questions. It's difficult. Even the gums are charred, but look here. See here? No fillings. He's young, maybe 17, maybe 18. Michael Myers is 21. Positive ID means we check x-rays and dental records. Don't take hours. No other way to know for sure, I'm sorry. We haven't got hours. Listen to me, we've got to assume that Michael Myers is still alive. I think scariest moment for me is him stalking his way around Mrs. L into Mrs. Elrod's house to get his knife. Because I think I, I love that idea of it becoming a trademark, that sort of little weird shot mm. of him because he needs to find it. That is almost recreated scene for scene, but in third person in the newest Halloween. Yeah, where he's, he's basically passing unseen. Mm. I love when she turns around and it's like little drops of blood. Of blood on there because he's bleeding because he's been shot, hasn't he? So that's the thing. Again, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but like he has got blood on him. Would you have liked him to have taken the sandwich as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there is, again, I think some people in the TV thing, it's heavily more heavily implied that he murdered the woman mm. as well, which kind of makes a little bit more sense, I guess. But I think oh, that entire bit where he's just stalking around and walking, it's so lovely shot. That is my scariest moment, because I generally thought it was quite scary. This is a WWAR special bullet. Police in Haddonfield have just made the grisly discovery of three bodies in the upstairs bedrooms of this house. It appears that the murders took place sometime early this evening. Authorities have confirmed that all three of the victims are teenagers, two girls and a boy. Police are searching the entire area for a mental patient who escaped last night from the Smith's Groveborn County Sanitarium. He is now believed to be at large in Haddonfield. This is Robert Mundy, live. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I'm 
Okay, Daniel, how many killings? What are we talking? We've got 10 kills total, Gav. Two of them are off screen. Nine of them are Mike. One of them might be Loomis. But other than little Ben Tramer, what is the best kill? Poor Ben Tramer. <laughs> Loomis has outdone himself with that one. The thing about this, right? I think the score in this film is appalling. Mm. And I generally, I don't know what the meeting was and what happened. Is it just too many cooks? Because I feel like it is. Because Carpenter is credited, but I don't know if it's credit as like, those are your themes. Mm. And he is fairly involved in this film, but there is another guy working on the music. It's just not as good. And they add all these elements into it that just for me, never become scary. And like, I'm sure we'll put a couple of in, in there, but the weird stingers, they sound like they come from like a Fisher Price, like toy, like one of those like things where there's loads of noise and shit happening in it. It sounds exactly like that. And, well, and they had the best one. They yeah. had a good one from the first film. You that again. It really worked. You're making more work for yourself and you've made a shitter. <laughs> and it's meant to be the same night. Yeah. Why have you reinvented everything? I can't, I can't get my head around it. I think there is that when you do something again, not having the confidence just to go with what it was. Yeah. It's odd, isn't it? If it feels like I think that is tinkering for the sake of it. Adding too much into it because I really like Mr. Garrett getting hit with a hammer. Mm. The noise that the, the score bit that comes up, the little stinger, is awful. Is really, really awful. Mr. Garrett. Mr. Garrett, I, I got to get back on the floor. For me, that completely undoes it. You like these ruined all the kills for me. Yeah, it really has. I've got mine is between two. One of what, them because I thought it was hilarious, and one because I thought it was genuinely disgusting. What have you got? Genuinely disgusting. I think is a really good. If you would asking me to do a best horror movie of this ilk, psychopathic killer, I think it'd be in the top ten. Is putting Nurse Karen's head in the hot tub, like boiling burning water. her, boiling. It's like over well, two hundred degrees. That's the thing. Is at first, oh, he's just drowning her, but then no. slowly as he pulls her up, you see like loads of skin peeling away. Mm. So I've got that one as one of my contenders. I think it's a, it's a genuinely horrible kill. And I think it's also preceded by a really quite classy kill where you see Bud kill through frosted glass. Well, yeah, that, that one immediately precedes it. Mm. And he's which strangled. I, which I kind of like because it would be too much to have two really elaborate kills, but he knows that, that you just wouldn't be able to do that. So... It's quite, like, weirdly in this film, which doesn't show a lot of restraint in other uh, places that it should There's be. a few off-screen kills, isn't yeah. there? There's, um, like, the Doctor is injected in the eye off-screen. Yeah. quite a big character. Like, I, I mean, he doesn't have the most to do, but he's, like, feels weird that that one's off-screen. It's disgusting that as well, because you just see, like, this weird, like, pus coming down of his eyes, which is pretty gross. I guess it, what you've done there is almost you've put the audience in the position of Laurie from the first film where mm. she stumbles across deaths. True, yeah. So he's done more than we were even aware of. Well, I think we'll go into it as well for the, um, you know, the newest Halloween, David Gordon Green and Diamond McBride did. But we talked about that quite a bit on like the IGN UK podcast we did for, I'm sure we'll talk about it as well. It's like the off-screen thing is, is weird because you can do quite a lot. The ones that he does off screen in this are not that elaborate. Well, the other one is the exsanguination. Yeah. He drains all of that. Is that the head nurse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. Virginia. Yeah, that's a great kill, that is. And then you end up knocking out. It's quite a cool image as well that you walk into that dark room yeah. and she's there. That's, that's, I like that. What's your other contender? My other contender, just because it's, it made me laugh right at the end, has this lovely thing, is Nurse Jill when you see her Crocs falling off. <laughs> But like, the only thing I didn't like about that is <laughs> that little scalpel thing 
shit, isn't it? It is shit, but it's staged in such a bonkers way. Yeah. Because it is definitely meant to be the culmination. And in similar way to the Bob kill, mm. how strong is he? Yeah, yeah, The yeah. fact that he can do that and he's doing it in front of them, like he's almost demonstrating yeah. his power. Like lifts her up. By like, a little by, crappy scalpel. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like the physics on that just are all over the place. And also, you're in a hospital. You're not able to find cooler things to kill people with. Although I guess like, is that part of it? Where you're saying the physics don't work. I'm going to ask you, is the scalpel pure evil? There you go. <laughs> but that's it. Just, like, is he, is he, like, lots of these like crime of opportunities where it's just like, right, I'm going to pick up this uh, syringe and kill two people I mean, with syringes. The eye like, is very much, like you were saying, this film is gone. We need to ratchet up the deaths. Yeah. Can he use different weapons? Yeah. We're in a hospital. Fantastic. Yeah. What we got? Scalpels and syringes. Done. Yeah. Absolutely done. He's not using the scalpel in any way that I would be like, oh, I'm surprised by that. But he's using the syringes in a way where I am really surprised by how he's killing well, one them. One of them is he's meant to inject an herb bubble. Yeah. It's quite high con. Like you need a little like understanding of medicine there to understand yeah. that. that. Do you know what? I have a really irrational fear of being injected with an air bubble. I just always think that <laughs> it's, it's- not irrational. But, but It'll I, kill you. But I always think that- and, but I mean, irrational in the sense of like, I reckon they probably oh, know, what, they know what they're doing. All right, yeah. So I think maybe the actual numbers for how many people get killed by air bubbles is probably really, really, really low. In the same way as like, you know, that's why you're not allowed to use cell phones or mobile phones uh, in a petrol garage because there's like 0. 0.00008% chance that somehow it will blow up. Mm. And I feel like the same thing with air bubbles. But every time I go... I never say it to them because that would be mad. You, no air bubbles today. No air bubbles because I will be really annoyed if you jam with an air bubble. Can actually. you double check? Yeah, just double check it. Go on, have a look again. Michael's not able to go, oh, by the way, air bubble time. <laughs> That's what he wants. Isn't yeah. It? I think it is Nurse Karen. Okay, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Best kill? I think it's Nurse Karen. Be, yeah, it's, it's so also, good. it's a, oh, is it? Is it like a hydrotherapy tub? Yeah. Obviously not a hot tub. You wouldn't have a hot tub in a hospital. No, of course. But doubles up as a hot tub. Yeah. I, I think absolutely that because it's the most elaborate one. It's also the one that, because Friday 13th had come out before this. And I, as you say, like people, they wanted to ratchet up. It's the one that feels more like Friday 13th and it feels like those films. Do you know what I mean? Because it's so elaborate. Mm. And there's a lot of like slow motion of her like going in and out. And it's definitely the skin on the face that adds, that's the thing that makes it gross and the best kill. I think so, yeah. Unanimous, good stuff. I'm sorry. I just have to get back, that's all. Now bud, don't be that way. <laughs> Quite a few survivors in this. Yeah, like, I, how does Jimmy survive? Just by passing out. Being catatonic, that's does, the thing. Does Michael just assume he's killed him? Yeah. It's weird that you don't see him the next day, in the morning. No. Really strange. Lots of stuff like that. It's good. You know, I thought that you could do that little cheeky thing where he brings her the coke. Yeah, he promises yeah, yeah. to buy Laurie a coat. We'd never see that. That's no payoff. She seems like she's really into him really quickly, doesn't she? Yeah, and also, like, but the thing is, like, 
bit of a creepy way to approach someone. They know that they made they know each other from school because this is the weird thing as well. Is like they all seem really really young. Yeah, to the point where they just are acting like they're at school. <laughs> Same with all nurses. Yeah, <laughs> apart from the head nurse. Yeah, they all just seem like really really young and shit, which I think is really really strange. We've touched on it a little bit, but I, I don't think I realized it until you said it. Really, but it is really strange to go. We're gonna start this as soon as the first one ends. Because then you go, she has just been through quite a lot and we're going to put her in the hospital. But by virtue of doing that, you then kind of take her out of the game a little bit for it. Because she doesn't want to, because they want to sedate her. Yeah. And rightly, she doesn't want to be sedated, which really reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And a bit like the Terminator as well. Where yeah. It's quite a classic trait. Nobody believes the young girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the adults know better than her. Yeah. I think that's maybe why it's really odd. Why is there nobody with her? Yeah, true. Like, why is there no family? Where are mum and dad? At this party, but they're not there anymore. But That's the only thing we hear. I don't know, like, oh, it's real time. But it's like, somebody would have gone with her. Wouldn't Loomis gone with her? I don't know, maybe there would be more police with her? I mean, in the first film, he stays outside a house because <laughs> he knows that Michael's going to come back there. If he thinks this gonna, he's going to come after Laurie, you stay with her. So yeah. do the police. That's going to intrigue you. What do you want to do, Sam? You want to meet Michael again? <laughs> yeah, he loves Stay her. with her. Yeah, it's really strange, isn't it? And, uh, and then I guess you could have set up a little bit between him and Loomis, but I guess he needs to not be there so all the people around her can die. Yeah, I think what's weird, even though Laurie survives again, mm. it feels less about what she does. Yeah. She just feels very secondary in a film that makes her even more important to the mythos. I think until that I read all the stuff about it as well, because the idea was that one, I think one of the ideas was that she's going to be in a high rise. One of the ideas is she's going to be at college. Mm. So they fi- he managed, Mike Myers finds her at college. Oh, and you're like, question if she was babysitting again. There you go. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you got, you got to, at least then, is another reason for her to be fully operational, not knocked out, not having lost loads of blood, either by him or by the doctor <laughs> taking it out. Um, so you just go, this, that seems to me like a way better idea. Because there's no reason that I can see of having this take place straight after, because... Laurie is basically out of commission for all of them. She has no interesting chats with anyone either no. about her experiences. Or I would like to have her explain to someone yeah. what she thinks has happened. Because obviously oh the first God, film yeah. ends quite famously with going, was that the boogeyman? Yeah. I believe it was. Yeah. She obviously doesn't think that like an hour later. No. Or does she? <sighs> Who knows, It'd be man? Like, There's really interesting dialogue that's left on the table though. Yeah. You could have her talking to Loomis doing like a big debrief of it, you know? Hmm. And I guess like that's what later films kind of sort of deal with how, well, the director, David Gordon Green one is talk about like how Maybe it doesn't exist in early 80s. Yeah. That you wouldn't have a counselor or somebody talking to you about. <laughs> to yeah. be fair, even in 1981, I'd like to think if I went through something like that, I'm not put in a room on my own. Yeah. With an orderly getting me a Coke. But yeah, like, survivors-wise, or Mrs. Elrod, though, as well, she managed to survive. And her husband. Yeah. Do you reckon she's eating that sandwich? She would have started again, I would like to think. Well, he's not touched the sandwich. Blood, blood. You've got to wash your hands. And I guess she was making it for her husband. So as long as she wash her hands and give it to her, I'll be right with it. Implies isn't very nice to her. Like Alice implies that it's quite common for him not to. He shouldn't be making him a sandwich. Which would have been good then if Michael killed him. Yeah. How does Jimmy survive? You know, exactly. like, you talk about oh, people are punished in horror films for being, like, stupid. Yeah. Jimmy isn't. Not at all, no. So it's maybe just if you're a woman as well. Listen, um, I know that you don't know me very well, but I just want to let you know that I'm not going to let anything happen to you. 
okay? Promise. Okay, let's talk about Michael's motivations, which I guess we have one now. We have an ostensible one. Yeah. And we also have another potential thing set up as well. Yeah. This is the thing that I kind of don't get because I, I, in my head, I'd be like, it is enough that he's just going after the one that got away. That's fine for me. Whereas now he's just going on as his sister, actually. So. so it's not all, so that reframes the entirety of the first film. Yeah. So what he's been patiently waiting on is mm. for his little sister to come of age so he can basically repeat the crime from the first film. Does she end up being the same age as Judith? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I guess it's simple. She's on maturity. So that's weird. So he's got a thing for killing his sisters, but also mm. anyone who's kind of around as well. Well, this is the thing that I kind of don't get. Why, why Mrs. Elrod and her uh, abusive husband, he goes into their house. They're right there. He's got the knife. She's just facing away from him. She's about two feet away from him. He's not bothered. Just fucking get her. Like, if you're adding more kills him, why are you not killing him? He's not about woman? numbers, though, is he? Like, he's obviously not about numbers because they're easy pickings. Yeah. I think that's the thing I kind of don't get. But then, like, but Annie, she gets it. Yeah. Again, this film would more bolster the theory he is going after young people who want to get their leg over. Yeah. Because so. basically, these orderlies and these nurses, apart from the head nurse, just at it. Yeah. And the doctor, I guess. Well, I guess drinking the, again. I was drinking. Abdication of responsibility. Yeah. But then that theory doesn't hold with the actual quite good nurse who's no, quite on it. Really she has good. all her blood drained. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's kind of like muddled because you just go, and this is, for me, ties into like the whole evil chat as well because you just go, well, why is he let those two people kill? Because if he is pure evil, but then that, again, again, if he is pure evil, he's killing every single person that he sees, which we know that he doesn't do. Is that pure evil? Killing every, like, it yeah. is having the capability of doing it, but maybe not. I don't know. If, yeah, if, yeah, like in my head, if it's like, pure evil, you just want to see people die for the sake of being, yeah. of being dead. He's obviously but... animated by something else. There is a yeah. agenda guiding him. And that's why Annie dies and Mrs. Elrod doesn't. How human do you think Loomis was that he was never shown that sealed document? Yeah. <laughs> that's, embarrass that's actually really embarrassing for him that that nurse knows about it and Loomis doesn't. Yeah, that, that nurse. He turns back up. Marion come back into it as well. So the, the nurse from the first one who shits herself weirdly smoking all the way through that scene as well which is bonkers she comes back into it in halloween in the second one but and that, seems like a completely different character but also like it is hours like <laughs> after she shit herself in a field she so and she looks great and there's almost a rec moment of recognition where looms is like oh you look good yeah it's so weird that and is. considering how much again she was shitting herself in a field mm. she's so composed because basically she has to be the bit of exposition but the thing that I don't get is she seems clueless in the first one, but then in the second one, she's weirdly switched on and knows more than she was let on, does she? How furious do you think Loomis is that she has access to that private <laughs> folder that he doesn't? Yeah, yeah. So you've you've read that. Mm. I was his doctor for 15 years. Then you say that the f there was in the scenes, the added scenes. To so the TV version yeah. of the first film. There's a scene where Loomis goes to Michael's room after he's escaped. Yeah. And on the, the he's trashed it. Mm. Little tight. Oh, yeah. And then on the back of the door, he's written sister. 
Yeah. So if you would have seen that before the sequel had come out, hmm. you might just think he was referring to Judith. And one of the first things he does is steal her headstone. Yeah. He's fixated on his sister. But obviously after you see the sequel, that's recontextualized to mean maybe he's going and fixating on Laurie, his yeah, little sister. Yeah, yeah. I guess that would make more sense, isn't it? I guess it comes a little bit out of nowhere then. That but then, that then it's, it's in the car with Marion that we start getting all this chat where she starts asking him about Druid festivals and pagan burnings. Uh, Where's that come from? Some of that is just lifted from the novelization of the first film where right. I think he has to hit a word count. So novelization, not a not, it was based, it was not based on a novel. No, no. so yeah. this guy whose real name is Richard Curtis. Right. Not that one. Not that one. And he wrote under the pseudonym Curtis Richards. Right. He wrote the novelization of John Carpenter's film and to pad it out, yeah, there's a whole prologue set in sort of Celtic Ireland. Wow. And he added a lot of stuff about Samhain, which we know okay. is pronounced Samhain. It's just, I think, bolster it out. Okay, yeah. But I think this is stuff that the sequel and later films kind of seize upon to just give it a bit more substance. Or yeah. I guess something to explore is the fact that maybe he is an ancient evil mm. that is taking bodily form in this young boy. I think that's the thing, isn't it? They... And the, the fact that we have to put this in a podcast and the fact that we we're going to be debating this every single episode now is they don't go enough into it. Mm. They do not lean enough into it. It's kind of like a little bit, it's it's distilled by Loomis and those kind of characters that you just go, you're talking shit. Well, it's also with Loomis because he's all big into him being pure evil. Yeah. But I guess the science man of science in him can't quite yeah. believe this druid myth because then he he got basically he knows a lot about it mm. but then he kind of transitions to go in two thousand years later we've come no further sam hain isn't evil spirits it isn't goblins ghosts or witches it's the unconscious mind we're all afraid of the dark inside ourselves too vague sam but he's then gone back to the model of science and psychology. Yeah. It's too vague, that is. Because you just go, I, I, I like and I understand that someone who is studying Michael Myers does then start to study evil incarnate and in the different forms that people have talked about evil over the years. I love that. I think it's great. But I think it doesn't really come down hard enough on it and go, no, actually, he is like at no point are we seeing. I know, not that I want to. Don't get me wrong, because I feel like at this point it would be like a green gas that we would see and be like, "Oh, this evil coming out of his eyes." Um, and I'm glad we don't get. To <laughs> That's see that why she stabbed him in the eyes yeah, to get exactly, the evil out. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm glad that we don't get to see that. But I, as an overarching sort of weird mythos, I do generally quite like it. I think there's a scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation where it's heavily implied that like, the Illuminati are in control of the Sawyer clan. And obviously that is bonkers, don't get me wrong. But the thing that I don't like about it is it, it, the thing that completely undoes why I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is terrifying and is the fact that they're just doing it because they, they like to eat people and they like, Same. To, and they like to watch people die. And then when you got all the Illuminati to actually control them, you go, all right, you've lost it now. It was scary when he we didn't know why he was doing it. This is the whole thing with all these heavily serialized slasher films. Mm. We touched on it in the last episode. Is you pass the book to the next person that has to make one of these films. Yeah. They have to add something to it. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just remaking the first one. 
which yeah. people will just go, it's the same as the first one. Yeah, yeah. And that was the good one. That's the one that initiated the sequel. So exactly, they all yeah. become mired by their own mythos. I think to the, the point that periodically they all have to be wiped out and started yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> which is strange, isn't it? But then you just go, the thing that I really like about the David Gordon Green and Danny McBride film is the, the first one is that they've had the benefit of hindsight. They've had the benefit of having lived all these years, having to go through all these different films and watch where these different directors and writers have taken it. And they can just go, nah, we'll just yeah. go back to that one. Which obviously, as you're doing it, as you're living it, there's no way that you can know that. Well, the other thing in popular storytelling that is the closest to this and far worse is mm. comics. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because you're under the pressure to put a new issue out every, what, two weeks, month, yeah. depending on the on the cycle. You're just going to accumulate a lot of shit you don't need over yeah, time yeah. that locks off storylines. Same yeah. with the expanded universe in Star Wars. Yep. That's why in comics you have these like big world resets. Yeah. Because yeah, you've yeah. got no storyteller can possibly thread all of that history. Yeah. The problem with this is no one's heart is in that stuff no. at all. And later films do try to do it, but because it wasn't planned and it wasn't structured in there from the get-go, yeah. it's kind of a weird bit of color to add that doesn't really pay off. No. I don't think Loomis knows how to handle it. No, he doesn't. And that, I think that's the thing. He doesn't come down hard enough on it. He knows a lot about it. Yet yeah. I don't understand why he's researched it properly. I think maybe and one reading, I guess, and I, I'm quite interested in this, is... Loomis has spent a lot of time with him, which means he's also spent a lot of time in his, you know, we, as we know, he only works four hours a day on Myers and four hours a day researching evil. But yeah, maybe he is talking to him about this stuff. and <laughs> He's giving you know, him the ideas. And, he's, and maybe he is talking to him a little bit about Sam Hain and, you know, in his darker times has gone, I know why you are, you're Sam. Or, you know, maybe Maya, some of what Loomis is learning has actually seeped into him. In my head, the therapy sessions are him just standing in the back of the room going, I know what you are. Mm. Is this helping, Sam? But that's the thing. It's like maybe he has distilled we, as we know he's very bad at distilling information maybe he's distilling the wrong information to an absolute psychopathic murderer and now he's like who is pretending to be catatonic so you're in this really really strange mindset and he's taken on some of the things almost by weird osmosis <laughs> it's, it's very muddled it is yeah but i think like that's the thing they don't have the confidence to go this is what it is definitively he is doing this and i think that's where it suffers from a little bit but to go back into what we talked about in the section from the last podcast, there is a lot of stuff that he does in this film, again, would imply he is not human. Yeah. The fact that he can hold her head under boiling water and His himself hands, not flinch, yeah. yeah, could have no damage. So that's why I like with a lot of uncanny stories, yeah. there are logical explanations. You could go, maybe he has nerve damage. Yeah. Or he's like a sort of functioning catatonic. Yeah. But then at the end, again, with a scalpel. Yeah. Nobody can do that. The amount of pressure on that scalpel yeah. would be insane. Yeah. And throughout the entire film, he's walking around with six bullets in him. Apparently, yeah. If we take Sam being a crack shot that he is, yeah. hits him six times. Well, I think that's the thing where if I was them, there's no way I'm thinking Sam's hitting every single one of those shots. Look at him. I'd be like, absolutely not. The British dude doesn't know how to shoot. There's fucking no way did you hit him six. And like, how many times did you shoot him? Six. And do you know how hard it is to fire a gun? And he, he has got a little, quite a little powerful little gun. I, I just feel like you're not hitting him. I think I think the police would be like, yeah, all right, six times, fuck off. What? We'll give no you way. one. Yeah. Do it again. Do it. Show me you doing a gun. And I want to see you do a shot and go, there's no way 
You hit him That's six true. Times. Actually, he absolutely bottled it when it came to shooting Ben Tramer. Yeah. Didn't even get one bullet away. Well, I think that's what, if I was that police person, I'd be looking around the house going, right, right, let's just look at the walls and go, oh, you know, you can see six shots here because look, he is shit at it. If you look at it, it's the shape of Michael Myers. Yeah, it's all around that's what it. the shape yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's evil? Yeah. No, I'm not having it. Will you put that thing away? Couldn't have shot him six times. You think I'm lying, Sheriff? I think you missed him. No man can take six slugs. I've told you this isn't a man. On the next episode, we're saying goodbye to Michael and turning our attention to the Silver Shamrock Company in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The Definitive Companion is made by RKG. We make podcasts and videos about things we love, including manifestations of pure evil. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG.